Those with a drive to go have an undeniable calling. They are not content to simply have a transformative idea. They want to create and build. They want to wrestle challenges to the ground and bring solutions to scale. They are makers and doers. They are go-getters. Go-Getters features straight-up conversations with leaders on the forefront of change who are taking action to impact our world, just as Lehigh people have done for more than 150 years. Join us as we explore their challenges, their passions, and what makes them go. Welcome to Go-Getters. Please note that the following was recorded before the disruption caused by the coronavirus and you may hear references to things that have since changed. Please stay with us after the interview for an update from our guest, and visit our website at lehigh.edu slash go-getters for extras and bonus content. We hope you enjoy the episode. Hello, my name's John Simon, and I'm here today with uh, William Crow, director of the Lehigh University Art Galleries. Uh, welcome, William. Uh, thank you. Thanks for having me. So, William, you just... Uh, you just you're new to Lehigh. I am. I am. I'm here just over 18 months. Wow. So, uh, what's your impression so far? It's an amazing place, I have to say. Um, uh, first of all, I don't know who decided to put a college university on a mountain, <laughs> but I'm getting used to the verticality. So, uh, so I'm curious uh, when when you travel around on behalf of the university. Uh, as you know, I do a lot. I, I find that people are surprised that Lehigh uh, has such a large art collection and actually has many venues for displaying art on campus. Uh, do you encounter the same? I do, absolutely. We you know, have a collection now at Lehigh that is approaching 17,000 works of art, which really rivals any art collection in this region. Um, and everything from ancient Chinese ceramics to 19th century French paintings to contemporary Latin American photographs um, and a really impressive outdoor sculpture collection, over 50 outdoor sculptures on Lehigh's three campuses. So when I, when I first came here, my eyes just got bigger and bigger as I went through storage and as the team at the art gallery showed me the great works of art that we have. There are some incredible pieces. When I grew up, you simply went to art galleries uh, to enjoy the silence and view the pieces. <laughs> uh, and I think that's really changed both uh, in, in the outside world and on universities. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're right. A lot of people, when they think about a museum, it might conjure images of a, a dusty warehouse filled with objects from the past or maybe... Um, uh, people have memories of being shushed in a museum for being too loud. You know, these are perceptions that museums struggle with. Um, but we see museums today as places that are really dynamic, participatory places where people can not only come to look and enjoy works of art, but where they can participate. Um, they can make things. They can respond creatively to what's on view. Um, you know, works of art, in my view, are the physical manifestations of how people have solved problems in different ways, whether it's an aesthetic problem or a functional problem, or maybe it's related to a belief system or a cultural tradition. So when we've traveled together, mm -hmm. uh, th there's no question that, uh, that people notice your passion for the arts. It's very authentic. It's really who you are. Mm. And, and I'm curious how that developed in mm. your life. 
You know, to be honest, I was really a latecomer to art. Uh, I was always interested in making things as a child. I um, I completely annoyed both of my parents, I think. <laughs> I was constantly asking them, you know, what can I make? What can I make? My mom checked out every possible activity book and how-to book and uh, books about models and architecture as a child. And I completely filled our front yard with all kinds of constructions. And um, I went through a whole phase where I made amusement park models out of boxes and wires, uh, lawn chairs. Uh, but it really wasn't until high school that I understood this could be art and that being an artist was something that could actually be a career and a profession. Um, I grew up in a very small town. Um, I know you're familiar with Charlottesville and that area, not so far from Charlottesville. I grew up in southwestern Virginia in a small town called Fincastle that's uh, nestled in the Blue Ridge Mountains. And it's, it's a beautiful, picturesque area. But uh, when I grew up there, I think there were about 300 people who lived in my town. So uh, one had to kind of make one's own fun there, and that was a way to do it. Uh, so you were the actually inaugural educator in charge of teaching and learning at the Metropolitan Museum in New York before you came here. Uh, how do you approach teaching through art? Mm. You know, um, I love teaching. I feel like I have a real sensibility for teaching. I was not always a very good teacher. In fact, um, right out of college, I was a high school teacher for a few years, and I was really trying to experiment with different ways of engaging students with art. Um, I tried to think back on all of my experiences with great teachers in college and in museums, and um, I was trying to give those students my own experiences with art. Um, and it really wasn't until years later, um, I was talking about this struggle that I had when I first started teaching with a great uh, philosopher and educator who has since passed. Her name was Maxine Green. She had the fantastic title of philosopher in residence at Lincoln Center Institute in New York. And I was explaining to her how I wanted to give students these great experiences. And she said, well, that's where you went wrong. You can't give someone an experience experiences can only be had. And so I've thought a lot about that in terms of when I'm teaching with art or as an art museum director, how can I create a climate where people can have their own experiences with art? So rather than being a, a radio signal that's going out to people or, or thinking of museum visitors or students as empty vessels waiting to be filled, um, people are already very full. <laughs> they have their own experiences and cultures and languages. So how can I create um, a climate and a place where those experiences can happen? So, so let's build on that. Yeah. So, uh, so I would say uh, one of the challenges then you, you face at Lehigh and within, uh, well, any institution has its culture, mm -hmm. How are you creating those types of experiences for students here? Mm -hmm. Or broadly, yeah. students, faculty, staff? Mm -hmm. You know, everyone I meet at Lehigh, I have to say, is really 
enthusiastic about the possibilities that art and the art museum can create for them. And it, it's hard, you know, I think um, when you're working in an environment where everyone is completely immersed in their own discipline, their own research, their own teaching, you know, sometimes one feels like you're speaking a different language. And so it can be challenging to bridge what those languages are and how people can see value in art. Um, not that they don't have the desire to do that, but sometimes it's just a matter of opening a door for them. And I feel like that door is open very wide. Now, I think that people see art um, can be accessed in many different ways. You know, how do we make meaning from images? How do we perceive the world? Um, I was just having a coffee the other day with a, a neuroscientist here at Lehigh, Julie Miwa, who is studying the existence of a gene that may or may not suppress the creative impulse in people. And so she is um, thinking about how can she use and activate the art collection at Lehigh as a dynamic place for her own research. Um, I'd also like to involve Lehigh students in our accessions. Um, I could see an opportunity for students to research works of art um, that may be becoming available or are made by contemporary artists and to interview um, gallerists and art dealers and artists and perhaps to take some of the funds that we have uh, from our endowments and to make some strategic purchases. Uh, maybe they take a trip to New York or Philadelphia and uh, help us um, expand our collection in ways that show the the relevance to students today and, and the challenges and topics that they're thinking about. This is important experiential learning. Absolutely. Right. Yeah, it's learning by doing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I know in your background, you were a DJ. Oh, so, uh, yes. So, so sure. I'm, I'm sitting here, and this is like... Are you having flashbacks? Because uh, uh, it, it's, it's I, really natural well, watching you and the microphone. Oh, thank you very much. Well, and, uh, I, it's true. I, I don't usually throw this information around, but I, I did have a stint as a college uh, DJ, uh, WAKE FM radio, the midnight to 3 a.m. shift. Um, I remember the day that a brand new LP arrived from a new band called Nirvana. <laughs> and I played it on a loop for uh, the full Kurt three Cobain. hours. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> um, actually, though, I should say I was even a DJ for a little while in high school. I um, went to a summer Spanish immersion program uh, that was a Virginia governor school program where you live on a college campus and you just speak Spanish for the whole summer. And I was the DJ for the morning news at La Academia Española. And it was WVOZ, La Voz de la Academia. And so every morning I did the, the news for that station. Oh, that's, that sounds like a lot of fun. So going back to mm. the, uh, I'd say the college days, mm -hmm. uh, particular type of music you like to play between midnight and 3 a.m.? Oh, my gosh. Wow. You know, I'm not sure how many listeners I had. So I ended up, um, you know, really playing things that I liked, everything from, yeah, Nirvana to Dolly Parton. Um, so, uh, and, you know, mostly it was just a way to to get to engage, um, you know, in a different way and to get to hear what kind of music was coming out. This has been great. Thank you. Let's take a short break. How can artificial intelligence be used to combat human trafficking? What will future finance jobs look like? How do algorithms improve efficiency? 
If you're looking for insight on current hot topics or just love to learn, join a Mountain Talk. In these 30-minute video chats brought to you by Alumni Relations, a Lehigh expert shares new discoveries and perspectives on challenges facing our world today. Listen live or on demand. Visit gocampaign.lehigh.edu slash engage. Now's the time to join Lehigh's Virtual Alumni Book Club. Join hundreds of fellow alumni to explore discussion-worthy books throughout the year in an easy and engaging online forum. To sign up, visit gocampaign.lehigh.edu slash engage. Welcome back to Go-Getters. We're talking to William Crow. So what are your hobbies these days? Oh, my goodness. Um, well, you know, because I have these paintings in the faculty show right now, I'm, I'm actually really excited that I'm carving out more time for my own creative practice. And I have to say that was part of my motivation of coming to Lehigh, too. I, um, you know, I loved working at the Metropolitan. I was there almost 20 years, uh, really for a big part of my career. Um, but I was in a position that was the highest position I was going to have. I, um, you know, was 44 years old when I left the Met. And I thought, you know, as much as one can spend multiple lifetimes in a place like the Met, I didn't want to be doing the same job for the next 20, 25 years. And I thought, I'm going to come to Lehigh. This is a place that clearly has in its DNA that it is a place for makers. And I'm going to use that as a way to to reconnect with my own creative practice, too. So I, I, I also view art as a convener. Mm-hmm. It, it's uh, if you put a show on, it, it's it's something that can convene faculty, students, mm-hmm. staff, our, our community. It, it's something that brings people together in ways that a lot of what a university does does not. And South Bethlehem is rapidly being, you know, defined by its art district. And may, maybe you could talk a little bit about how you as the director of the arts gallery sees, uh, we could almost put in the interdisciplinary definition you have about how Lehigh and the community work together in this where both are better because of that partnership. So I'm curious how you think about this. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, I think that museums like communities that are functioning well, they are places that work best when people are participating and where people come together. You know, as I walk around the south side of Bethlehem and this whole area, I'm hearing different languages. I hear Mandarin and many types of Spanish and Arabic. I am seeing how people are creating different things. They're creating businesses and organizations and um, they're creating new initiatives. And, um, you know, I think that as you just described, an art museum, particularly an academic museum here at a national research university, it's a place where people can come together and they can engage in conversations and even debates. Um, People don't always have to agree. Um, In fact, museums can be places where people have very difficult conversations. We're actually planning right now and and working with Lehigh students to curate an exhibition this fall called Doing Democracy. 
and it will be an exhibition of photographs that we have in Lehigh's collection um, from most of them the second half of the 20th century. And they show political leaders and civil rights movements and everyday Americans. And we're thinking about how can we engage the community in um, different ways of thinking about participation in a democracy. Um, and so we're, we're really excited about that. Everything from voter registration that will be happening in the art galleries to a, a program that I'm excited about called um, We've All Got Issues. <laughs> and it's uh, a way for people to come into the art galleries and to create their own uh political poster or button um, about an issue that's important to them, uh, not in a partisan way, mm-hmm. but as a way to really bring diverse viewpoints together. Yeah, a way to engage, mm-hmm. have the dialogue. Absolutely. So I, I'm, I'm curious, I, I, I doubt you've gotten to see all 17,000 pieces yet, but <laughs> right. you're well on your way after 18 months. <laughs> right. um, any surprises in the works of art that, oh. uh, that Lehigh has? Oh my goodness. We have some incredible pieces, I have to say. Um, well, I was speaking earlier about Maurice Prendergast, one of these uh, American modernist painters from the group The Eight. We have one of his sketchbooks. Um, that is pretty rare to have in a museum, and it reveals his thinking process. Um, in fact, we're, we're planning an exhibition right now for fall of 21 that is focusing on sketching as a tool for thinking, um, and that will likely be one of the centerpieces of that show. Um, but we also have ancient tomb sculptures from China, from the Han Dynasty, a great uh, sculpture of this camel that unfortunately is quite fragile and so cannot move very regularly. Um, But it's an incredible piece that tells us about belief systems in the ancient world. So it's exciting. Um, I mean, I would say the other side of that is we wonder what would it look like, you know, to have a space that is more of a, a consolidated space for art? Um, I do think Lehigh has all of the ingredients to have a world-class academic museum. You know, we have a world-class collection that is diverse. We are here in a community that's increasingly diverse. Um, and I think many academic museums, campus-based museums, see themselves as a bridge between a university and a local community, a participatory place where people can be who they are and experiment and um, access the collection. And so that's something that we would be really interested in exploring. So if that were ever to happen at Lehigh, do you mm-hmm. see that uh, you know, located around where Zollner is today? Mm-hmm. Or, or do you see it having impact by being located uh, in a different area of campus. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting that you're asking that. I, I teach a class uh, just next door to where we're recording this, um, a, mu- a class called Museum Controversies. <laughs> and they're a fantastic group of 14 students. And we just read a text from about 100 years ago, 1917, by a great museum leader, John Cotton Dana. And the text is called The Gloom of the Museum. <laughs> and in that, he really is very angry 
about museums that decided at that time or just prior to that time to leave the cities and to isolate themselves in beautiful parks. Um, actually, he was thinking about the Metropolitan Museum of Art <laughs> when he wrote this because he said, you know, museums should be where people are. Um, they should actually be more like a great department store. He was thinking about Bamberger's at that time uh, in Newark that had just opened a big store. And so it's something for Lehigh to think about, you know, where where could a great academic museum be that creates this type of bridge um, between Lehigh and the community? Um, you know, I, I spend a lot of time walking around the South Side and I see um, incredible stores and nonprofit organizations that people are making and, of course, great food. That's often my primary target where I'm walking around. Um, and I could imagine uh, that it could be a real catalyst um, for the entire region. I had the lightning round here. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I noticed you spent time at Wake Forest. I did. I went to undergraduate school there. So ACC or Patriot League? Oh, ACC all the way. <laughs> so you, I know even though I have to say sports, well, I said sports was uh, off limits in terms of our questions. I'm, I can't say that I'm really a sports expert, but um, that's blasphemy in North Carolina. Like you have to be able to talk about basketball at least in the ACC. Yes, you do. I, yeah. I have my years in North Carolina. <laughs> oh, right. Too. There's sure. no, no question. Yeah. Uh, um, <laughs> so what's the last new thing you made? Oh, Let's see, the last new thing that I made, I've been working on these small paintings. Uh, they're only eight inches square. Um, it's funny how when you have a small studio space, your work gets very small, <laughs> as opposed to graduate school uh, when I had a, a studio in New York City and I was making these huge uh, paintings. Um, but I've been making these small paintings inspired by things I see around the south side of Bethlehem, actually. I... Um, to be honest, I, I started because I was um, driving around the south side uh, looking for a parking space <laughs> and started taking photos uh, to remember where I had parked my car and then started making some sketches and some paintings because I started taking note of what I was looking at in the neighborhood. And so those have been really fun. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. Any New Year's resolution? Well... You know, I, I mentioned earlier that I'm really reconnecting with my own art and my own creative practice. So honestly, a New Year's resolution is that I want to dedicate more time to doing that. That's great. Uh, so yeah, I'd say that's one. Last book you read? Oh, let's see. Um, the last book that I read, I've actually been doing a lot of listening to audiobooks. I um, have a, a triangle going between our, our place in New York City. We have a, a place on the Upper East Side and then a place here in Bucks County. So I get to spend a lot of time with audiobooks. Um, actually, just finished a book um, by Cheryl Strayed called Wild. Um, where she is walking along um, a trail on in California and along the Pacific Coast, and it's all about her personal journey. Uh, and it was great. I highly recommend it. Mm. Uh, this one could be generational, but uh, have you binge-watched any show lately? Oh, my goodness. Right now, a few. We've just started uh, His Dark Materials, uh, the Philip Pullman series, uh, The Golden Compass. That, so just started that. Um, of course, I think probably like everyone, I'm on a constant loop of the great British baking show. So even though I really do not bake or cook at all, I, um, I know how to cut film to vent on my lean 
cuisines that I make at home, um, there is something very satisfying about watching that show. (laughs) So you're early bird or or a night owl? Oh, I'm very much an early bird. I'm usually up by 4.30 or 5. Um, I think my brain just functions better that way. Um, Yeah. No, Mm -hmm. we're on the same schedule. Yeah. Maybe that is generational. Uh, <laughs> Linderman or Fairchild Martindale or agnostic? <laughs> oh, in terms of libraries. Yeah. Um, ooh. Um, you know, I love both. You know, I love the, um, uh, you know, walking into Linderman and there is uh, an aura about it. You know, it's such a beautiful building with the rotunda and, you know, the, the elegance of that building. But I, I like the energy. And, of course, now the coffee uh, at Fairchild Martindale with the, um, the grind uh, cafe that's there now. <laughs> so Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook? Um, I'm not a, on Twitter, I have to say, although we, we are at the art galleries. We're on all three of those. Um, I, I'm more of an Instagram person at the moment. Thank you, William. It's been inspiring talking to you today. Thank you for participating on Go-Getters. Uh, thanks. Thank you. So this is Janet Norwood, one of the co-producers of Go-Getters. Since the podcast you just heard was originally recorded, the coronavirus has changed everyone's lives. I'm glad to be catching up with William Crow, director of the Lehigh University Art Gallery, to see how the virus has affected his life and work at Lehigh. Thanks for your time, William. Sure. Thanks for having me, Janet. How are you doing, first of all? I'm okay. Uh, you know, we're taking things day by day, um, as everyone is. We're here at our house in Bucks County and, um, you know, getting very creative with pantry staples and canned goods. And uh, my dog is enjoying the very long walks that we are taking outside. So, so from <laughs> that perspective, that's all going well. <laughs> In your conversation with John Simon, you talked about museums as dynamic places where people can really participate in the art. Um, But now, of course, all the galleries are closed down. So how are you keeping people engaged this semester? Yeah, since the crisis started, we have been transitioning our programs and our resources to an online environment. Um, right now, we had planned to have a series of in-person programs, actually a new series called Art in Dialogue, and it's a program that connects Lehigh faculty members with community members or experts from other fields to have interdisciplinary conversations. And so we um, transitioned these programs to the online platform, and last week, Uh, We had a great program with artist and professor Jason Travers from the Department of Art, Architecture, and Design in conversation with Ian Berkey, um, who's the Director of Counseling and Psychological Services at Lehigh, and they spoke about visual journaling. Uh, Jason Travers uh, uses visual journaling as a way to capture his experiences in nature and in different places. And You know, during this moment, I think we've seen a a proliferation of people creating things, um, journaling, um, really uh, even performing online through social media. And so at the art galleries, we've really been trying to offer a wide range of online programs for people to stay engaged and to have conversations with other people and, you know, really to... um, expand their experiences beyond the the walls of their home during this moment of confinement. 
That's great. What have what response have you seen from from the campus community and the community at large? You know, we have been really delighted to see so many people participating online. At, at first, you know, we wondered how people would react, um, you know, to online programs that the museum, the art galleries was offering. But in fact, we've had fantastic attendance. We've uh, had over 50 people participating in the Zoom programs with typically an additional 400 to 800 viewing it on Facebook Live. So our engagement has been really wonderful. And of course, people joining us from not only Bethlehem in the Lehigh Valley, but uh, further afield and even internationally. Have your students been able to continue any of their projects? They have. You know, we are working with a fantastic group of Lehigh undergraduates um, during this spring semester to curate an exhibition that we're going to have on view in the fall. Uh, the exhibition is titled Doing Democracy, and it's an exhibition that is coinciding with the U.S. presidential election, and it draws on photographs that we have in the permanent collection of art at Lehigh. Um, about a third of our art collection is photography at Lehigh. And so these students are selecting the photographs. Um, many of them are from the mid-20th century. Uh, they capture images of civil rights protests and political leaders and elected officials and also everyday Americans. And so um, these students are now working remotely to uh, record audio, uh, to create an audio guide for the exhibition, to group the photographs um, according to themes. And it's been a really exciting project um, and a, a interesting challenge to be doing it remotely. Uh, so I think we'll, we'll all be excited when we can eventually have them physically together and, uh, and be able to see the exhibition when it comes together this fall. And you're teaching this semester, right? So what has that experience been like? Actually, I just finished up a class session a few minutes before um, our conversation this afternoon. I'm teaching a class this spring called Museum Controversies. And it's a seminar class uh, with 13 students. And, um, you know, certainly shifting to an online format has brought some challenges, but um, you know, in some ways, it's allowed us to go deeper in other directions. You know, we've um, been actually working on um, some audio projects here at the end of the semester, and so students have been conducting interviews and sharing them online. Um, and then, in fact, we've also been taking a close look at how museums are responding to the pandemic. Uh, I'm sure, like, Many listeners are um, remembering, you know, museums are trying new things. They are um, using social media and online platforms to connect to the audiences that they serve. They're increasing their digital collections online. And so um, that's been an interesting experiment for my students and I to really see how museums are responding to this crisis. Now, you mentioned this before, the virtual gallery tours and online concerts seem to be popping up everywhere. What does this say about the role of art in a time of crisis? You know, I think it is a really different world that we're living in right now. You know, there are people who are grappling with issues of life and death. People are being confined to their homes. They're having 
economic hardships and job losses. So, you know, people are struggling to meet their most fundamental human needs. So a lot of people might think, you know, why should I care about art or art museums during a moment like this? Um, I would argue that it's precisely during these moments of crisis that are it makes museums and art essential to our lives, um, even if they are not physically accessible. You know, museums are places that put our world in context. They document and they reveal moments of both continuity and moments of change. Um, and as we were saying, museums are, are conveners. They're places where people can gather, either physically or virtually, to have important conversations and to, to make human connections. Um, I also think museums, particularly art museums, are places now where human creativity and innovation are central. So, you know, I, I see this incredible creative outpouring that's been happening as people have been confined to their homes during the pandemic. And that's really everything from people posing like famous works of art in their homes and posting these images on social media to, you know, even people designing their own face masks, you know, with different materials they happen to have on hand and coming up with all sorts of different creative solutions to that very real world problem. So, so I think, um, you know, art and art museums remain critically important. And I think even if we're having to shift or pivot or reprioritize uh, what our role is right now, um, I, I hope that people will continue to see the great value in art and art museums. So if people want information about your programs um, or to check out the online connection, they should go to luag.org, right? Exactly. Uh, go to our website, luag.org. You can also follow us on social media. We're on Instagram at LUArtGalleries. Uh, Facebook and Twitter, um, and so please do follow us. We have updates all of the time and would love to have you involved in all of our programs. Great. Well, thanks again for your time, William. Please stay well. Great. Thanks so much, Janet. You as well. Thank you. This has been Go-Getters, a podcast from Lehigh University hosted by President John Simon. Browse other episodes and check out related info about each go-getter by visiting their Inside the Episode page at lehigh.edu slash go-getters. That's lehigh.edu slash g-o-g-e-t-t-e-r-s. Special thanks to today's guest, William Crow, Director of the Lehigh University Art Galleries and Professor of Practice, Art, Architecture, and Design at Lehigh University. Thanks also to sound engineer James Plotkin, co-producers Aaron Firestone and Janet Norwood, and the Lehigh University Office of Development and Alumni Relations. For more information on Lehigh University Art Galleries, visit luag.lehigh.edu.